Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. This is the first show we've put together using our new self-isolation recording system. Each member of the team is sitting in their own home and communicating over the internet. Please bear with us, as this is the first show using this new method, and it's very much a work in progress. Guys, what have we got coming up in this show? In our review section this month, Darren is back to review, amongst others, Dark Waters and Brightburn. Then there is the fabled Darren's Dash, which this month includes Downhill, The True History of the Kelly Gang, and Bloodshot, while Phil, a.k.a. Phil the Bear, joins us to discuss Onward. Greetings and salutations. My name is Jeff, and my main cinema interests are political and horror movies. Although, I must admit, I do watch other films, as you'll find out when we get to the reviews, unlike the other two. Hi, my name is Graham. My main cinema interests are sci-fi and comic book movies. I thought watching all those virus outbreak sci-fi movies would prepare me for this pandemic. But I don't remember anywhere in any of those movies the hero being given instructions by the government to lie in front of the TV for a month. (laughs) Hi, my name is Neil, and I'm just here to annoy Jeff. Okay, before we go on with the show, we have something serious to say. Warren Ringham, friend of the show and leader of Cue the Music, the man who made our show 36 so memorable, and indeed one of our most listened to shows, is asking for help. You don't need me to tell you that these are dark and difficult times. COVID-19 is having far-reaching effects into society, from health to business. For Cue the Music, a very talented group of self-employed musicians, this could be financially devastating. Because of cancelled concerts, they have lost a massive amount of revenue and potentially their livelihoods. Listeners, it is grim news. Let me hand over to Warren who will explain the situation further and how you can help. Hi, Jeff. Well, thank you for the intro. And goodness me, I mean, I've got to say straight away that, you know, we're not the only ones in trouble. And I think it's, you know, really important to state that up front. I know there are so many people out there that are in a similar or worse boat. You know, purely talking from our point of view, I came to the decision to try and raise money for the musicians in the band. This isn't for the show. It's not for me. It's not for my show it's for the fantastic guys and girls in the band in the crew that have put in all the hard work over the years and as we know from all the government announcements so far there's nothing nothing for the self-employed for people in the gig economy as yet as of sort of a week ago literally every single gig in musicians diaries was just cancelled all of them yeah so i mean you know i've got guys in the band that have gone from having their income, which is going to pay for the mortgages and the food and the bills and everything else. So literally having a zero. And the, and the, the help that they can get, I think, is £94 a week. But the, the hoops you have to jump through for that as well is, is not a, a pretty picture from what I'm told. So my sort of goal in the short term really is just to raise a bit of money for the, from people that enjoy cue the music that have maybe got some that can spare it because I think that's important. There are a lot of people out there that are also in trouble, but there are there are those who have, you know, who are actually not in massive trouble at the moment. And, and if they're able to spare anything to help the guys who are 
And in our case, it's cue the music and the musicians, the sort of 50 or so musicians that we have working with us throughout the year. That would be absolutely massively appreciated. That would be excellent. So what have you put in place to help raise these funds? Well, we've got a Just Giving page. If you go to Just Giving and search for Cue the Music, you'll find it straight away. Uh, or you can go to the Cue the Music Facebook page and, and just scroll down to find the link. We're just looking to raise enough money just to keep people going over the coming months, just to help. Because right now we should be in Monte Carlo uh, as we speak, doing an event out there. I mean, just for an example, I think we've had 11 or 12 shows cancelled in the three months we've got coming up. And it amounts to about £30,000 of fees for the guys in the band that, you know, split across the band, of course. But that's a big cast. You know, you're talking probably 17, 18 in the cast over sort of eight or nine shows plus the private events that we've had cancelled so it's it's a lot of money but it's over a lot of events that's what we're trying to raise really we're not all of that but we're just trying to raise a portion of that just to kind of help keep people going really and put food on the table really isn't it exactly yeah i mean give you like a really fine example my main singer kerry you know she relies on these gigs for her income and she's married to a drummer who is quite a famous drummer i mean he he used to be robbie williams drummer and and various others he was on on tour with a particular band and they came off stage that night and they just got told i'm really sorry but the the tour's cancelled you're gonna have to go home tomorrow morning and you're not getting paid for any of the rest of the tour and it's cancelled and then he had all of his other dates for the whole of the rest of the summer cancelled as well so the two of them have got not a single penny of income coming in in the next three, four, possibly even longer months. But obviously all the outgoings. And as I say, as so far, there's no help at all for them. Nothing. Thank you, Warren. Uh, we have some great listeners and I'm sure that they will uh, be willing to help out where they can. That would be amazing. I'd be really appreciated. Anything would be really appreciated. And it's been touching to have the support that we've had. You deserve it. You're a great band, been really good to us as well. But yeah, you know, I've been to the show and the show's fantastic. Anything we can do to help those musicians who, who put on such great entertainment is amazing. Yeah, thank you. I mean, let's hope the show go can continue as well. I mean, the, the money we're raising isn't even for the show. I mean, my, my drummer was talking to me the other day and said, you know, what's going to happen with the future of the show? Are we? How, are you going to be able to keep it going? And I said, you know what? I'm not even thinking about that at the moment. We'll, we'll worry about that down the line. Right now, I just want to help the guys in the band who need the help. Whether the show goes or not is irrelevant at the moment. And so many other people in that boat, all the shows, all the bands, all the theatre shows, restaurants, pubs, clubs, they're all in danger because they haven't got any income coming in. And how long can you sustain that for? And I think with the businesses like pubs and the clubs and restaurants, what have you, they have had some help from the government. But for a business like mine, a touring theatre show, we've had nothing. And I do want to just taper off two minutes of of me complaining about my situation to say that I fully appreciate that there's so many other people in the same situation. And I'm not sort of slitting my wrist suicidal about it. It's been amazing to see how positive everyone's been because we're all in the same boat. I think if this situation happened in any other sort of walk, day-to-day walk of life where your business is going under, you'd feel absolutely just, you know, horrendous. But because everybody's in the same boat, it's kind of a strange collective resolve that we're seeing. It's, it, it kind of gives you a tiny little insight into what it must have been like in the Second World War. And, and I say that fully understanding that there was an awful amount more um, bloodshed shed and difficulty that they went through. But in a, in a way, in a sort of similar kind of 
strange way, I think it's that kind of British, hopefully that British resolve and that mentality that might come back and see us through this, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Rather than see people fighting over toilet rolls in the local Tesco's, unfortunately. You know what? It's funny, we're talking the stories about the bad side of it, but there's going to be so many lovely stories as well, you know? I mean, the fact that people have come in and put money into this pot for us has been just so humbling and so amazing. And it's, uh, you know, as I, it's it's lovely from my point of view that we we spent 50 years building up a fan base and people that love what we do. Yeah. And now that, that we're in really desperate times, we've been able to go and say, look, we need your help. You know, can you, can you help us? And people have. And I think that's because of the enjoyment they've had over the years. And it's, it's just unbelievable. Like I get, get a lump in my throat even talking about it. You know, it's um, astonishing. No. Yeah, well, when I saw the mail, I immediately went on to it, and I thought, you know, what else can we do for you? Because you were there for us, and 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 that's important to me. So uh, no, well, thank I hope you. We will be again. You know, I hope we will be yeah. again. I mean, it's I'm I'm never been stronger in my resolve to to find a way through it, and I'm looking at all the options, and I know that we have such a strong fan base out there that people will come back and see the show, and it's just we've just got to ride it out. It's going to be really hard few months, and it's. It's such a shame that we had our biggest tour ever lined up, no, 20, no, 28 shows this year, and we're going to lose the vast majority of those. And it's going to take time for the ticket sales to sort of pick up again. And, and it's, you know, it's a very uncertain time, but hopefully we can come through it and we can keep spreading the love of Bond and spreading the joy of the Bond yeah. music. That's what I hope. I just hope and I pray that we were able to come out of this and, and keep it going because you know, we're saying we we fought through all those years of real difficulty. I've come back so many times from looking like we were going to go under, and we were in a, a decent position this year. And now this, you know, and it's and like I say, it's always important to keep yourself centered and remember that it's not just me; it's everybody that's in the same boat. And not to feel sorry for myself, and not to feel sorry for us. It's we're all in it. We're all struggling. And we've all got to help each other. And when we come out the other side, I really hope that happens. I really hope that everybody keeps supporting each other and helping each other get back on the straight and narrow. It's going to take a, a huge nationwide community effort to support all the businesses and all the things that were there before. If we want to kind of get them back and keep them going, it's going to take a nationwide effort to do that. Thank you, Warren. Look, I know there are many people out there who are hurting right now. If we could we would help all of them. For us, it's personal. Warren is part of the At The Flicks family and was there for us. We have donated and we would ask, if you can, please help this very talented group of people. The links to the Just Giving page can be found in our show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Back to the show, and I'm afraid there is no escape talking or thinking about this horrible virus. But before we start the show proper, I want to ask, have we been talking about this for decades anyway? Pandemics have been a staple of cinema for as far back as I can remember. And that's right back to Spanish flu from 1918 to 1920. Ignoring Neil and back to the question. Have the pandemic films we've seen over the course of our cinema-going lives prepared us for or made us more scared by the events now occurring? For me, clearly, films like Contagion and Outbreak were terrifying when I first saw them, hoping they'd never come true in my lifetime. And then, of course, there's all the zombie films like Dawn of the Dead, Shaun of the Dead, although that's not so funny now as you can't go to the pub. 
Pontypool, the recent Ape Cycle of Films, I Am Legend and Rabbit, to name just a few. Have they in some way prepared us, or perhaps more frightening, in the beginning, did we treat this virus as an afterthought because it's just a movie? Now, I have my thoughts on this, which I'll come back to. However, I would like to hear what you've got to say. Darren, what do you think? Personally, I don't think that people have taken any preparation or stock from disaster movies at all, because I think deep down, the nature of films is always to exaggerate any sort of situation, disaster, whatever, is to basically exaggerate the facts in order to tell a good story. When an actual virus comes about, I don't think people really think it's going to get that bad because we're so induced to seeing the worst-case scenarios in film. And real life is never normally as exciting as what you see in a film. So when something like this comes up, people don't think it's going to be get bad as they see in a film like, say, Contagion or Outbreak or anything like that. So um, I don't think people basically get that worried about it. Also, I think the thing about the, the films is, I think they basically sort of totally got the wrong idea of how people would react in these situations. Because looking how people have sort of responded... I think if you were basically going to write a satirical comedy about people's reactions, you could not have imagined what's actually gone on, how people have, re- have reacted. The first thing that people did is run out and buy all the toilet paper. Not in like sort of movies where you see <laughs> yeah. people going out and like stacking up on fuel and guns and barricading and looting and everything. Everyone basically went out and basically got obsessed with basically stocking up on um, a year's supply of toilet paper or pasta or things like so- that. So what you're saying is we're actually in the film that Mel Brooks would have made. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 are, we are in the comedy version yeah. of this. We're not in the sort of reality. And just the other day when yeah. McDonald's were going to close, nearby us, the roads were absolutely packed near a roundabout. And we just assumed it was people queuing up to get into the supermarket. It wasn't. It was people queuing up to go into the McDonald's drive through to get one last McDonald's before they closed for a few months. You know, like I say, if you were to to write a comedy, you you, you couldn't have got those things in there. It's just so ludicrous. But that's how people have sort of responded. I don't think that anyone has got scared or sort of you know or ready for any of this sort of any of this by, by movies because I don't think that no one ever expected or believe that these things would actually um, happen to the extent that they have. The the only sign that I see that movies have actually had an effect is the way the media reports it. When they show, like, the maps showing the spread of the virus, which looks straight out of Outbreak, or Sky, where they have the big banner that shows um, Britain surrounded by a um, a target, and then bullet holes, which are basically meant to look like coronaviruses. You've got the same Sky News presenters as were in Shaun of the Dead. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, or, or, or Independence Day. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's you know because because they, they use the sort of the real actual sort of like you know Fox News Sky and stuff like that. I think that does make it in, look like more of a movie. To be honest, interesting, Graham. Oh yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, uh, I said it in my intro. I never thought it would be like this. Movies in real life—they've never been so far apart. It's really surreal. Yeah, the streets are deserted, and you're driving to the shops for groceries is one of the most surreal experiences I've ever had. It's not 28 days later, but it's close. No, no, I'll tell you what it is. It's a Sunday afternoon in the mid 70s. That's exactly. 
exactly. For those of us that can remember a Sunday afternoon in the mid-70s, yeah, it was, it was exactly. The thing that did impress me was that the guys at Netflix predicted this pandemic years ago as they invented binge-watching to help us cope. <laughs> you know, but uh, like Darren, things I never saw in the movies, social distancing, toilet paper riots, People looking at data all day long. Graphs are cool again. Never saw that one coming. Uh, hang on, hang on. That was, in, that was in Contagion. <laughs> yeah, a bit. But not. I've got three tabs on my browser constantly plugged into the World Health Organization. Yeah. Okay, I'm a bit of a data nerd, but yeah. And the constant supply of terrible virus-related jokes. Thank you, social media. Uh, and you're um, welcome, Graham. <laughs> yeah, you're one of my top sources. I'm, I'm even sending them on to Darren now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's really thankful for that. <laughs> Whether he wants to or not. <laughs> I was talking to Darren earlier. Ce- celebrity isolation meltdowns really get a grip. You're living in a mansion. Shut up. Um, but, Jeff, the complete lack of zombies. No. Where are the zombies? Jeff, I was promised zombies. Well, I disagree with you here. Have you not ever seen Dawn of the Dead? Have you not gone yeah. to a shopping set uh, of Tesco's or Sainsbury's? It is Dawn of the Dead. Have you never gone to Swindon? <laughs> sorry, Swindon. <laughs> yeah, Neil, sorry, not sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Neil. I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, we're history of those, aren't we? It's, it's, and we don't take any notice. It's, it's that. We naturally think it'll never happen to us. I mean, it's smoking and cancer, for as an example. Uh, in, uh, all those warnings and everything, people still smoke. It'll never happen to us. I mean, I'm sure had movies had a lot to do with our ambivalence at the start, but it, it's not the only reason, I don't think. I, I, I mean, we do the, that same for environmental disasters. I mean, there's so many films, like 2012, the Earth's core oh. heating up. No, 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 no. That movie is up there with Ad Astra as the most scientifically inaccurate movie of all time. The Um, neutrinos are mutating. They're fundamental particles, not biology. Come on. It's it's what Darren says, isn't it? They go too far. I mean, Soylent Green, for example, is set in 2022, which is a scary thought, really. I mean, mean, that's, that's a... I'm not eating any diseased people, Neil. I'll tell you that now. No, no, no. no. <laughs> um, people flock to these blockbuster action films, and we ignore the message. I mean, they're prob- probably in pre-production for COVID twenty-seven, the world killer, a virus set to kill billions. I mean, I personally think possibly Brad Pitt would be in it. Nope, uh, nope. Gerard Butler. but he has the cure and he has to get it from one place to another but he has to go and save his family first and then aliens attack i mean that's i mean i i personally should be writing to them already shouldn't i (laughs) come on this is my script could you do it and they'd probably do it i think toilet rolls will kill the aliens probably and there's a short (laughs) supply the films are ludicrous the plots are ludicrous they're they're way so far out of reality that yeah where's the message um i disagree i i think there has been one seminal work that has followed this all the way through and that's actually if you look at the history in the 50s it was the big fear of nuclear annihilation 
that itself is mutated, if you like, over time from nuclear annihilation to pandemics. And the seminal work that best sums this up is I Am Legend, Richard Matheson's book. You know, it started off, he he wrote the books, a huge success when it came out. Hammer Films wanted to make it, and I think that version would have been astonishing, but the censors said no. Then they did it as a straight horror movie with Vincent Price called The Last Man on Earth in the mid-60s. And then you got this curious hybrid, the Omega Man, which is, you know, it's a result of a war between Russia and China that we're in Mm. this mess. And ultimately, then they do the Will Smith one, poor CGI aside, you know, the idea that it is a pandemic caused by, you know, research into a new sort of drug. And I think that's the one that sets the template for everything other than contagion. Okay, so generally, we think then, summing up for everybody, art doesn't imitate life. Yeah, no, and I can't wait to get back to the cinema. Same here. <laughs> I think we're all with that. Yeah, I think we're all with that one. Got the shakes. Yeah, uh, no, that could be the virus, Graham. Um, right, and on that scary thought, let's move on. Thanks for that cheery note. <laughs> I think we've scared everyone enough. Let's talk about films again. Time for the review section for the period cinemas were open this month. Not us, though, Graham. Apart from the one film I saw, we can sit back and put our feet up. Yeah, God forbid a movie podcast should review films. (laughs) Yeah, you and Lad Darren are providing loads. Almost heaven. West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains. Hi, What are you doing here? <laughs> Your grandma tells me her grandson's some fancy environment lawyer down in Cincinnati. I am a corporate defense attorney. So? I defend chemical companies. Well, now you can defend me. How many did you lose? 190. 190 cows. You tell me nothing's wrong here. That's chemicals, I'm telling you. I'm seeing documents I don't understand. They're hiding something. Whatever's killing those cows is in the drinking water. You need to tell me what in the hell's going on. DuPont is knowingly poisoning 70,000 local residents for the last 40 years. They have all the money, all the firepower, and they'll use it. I know. I was one of them. We protect us. We do. This is a rather strange choice from director Todd Haynes, better known for his relationship features such as the 50s-themed Carol, and Far From Heaven. Dark Waters is the true story of corporate lawyer Robert Billot, Mark Ruffalo, who is asked to investigate a potential case of industrial poisoning on a farm in West Virginia. What he uncovers is a cover-up with global implications and sets him on a collision course with the incredibly powerful DuPont Chemical Company. Sounds like one of those political movies you love, Jeff. Let me guess, your film of the month? Unfortunately, no. I'm starting to think that when Mark Ruffalo does these message movies, 
they're not going to be very good. I mean, it's worthy. It just doesn't engage. It's like Spotlight. You know, Spotlight on one level is fine, but emotionally it doesn't hit it. This should have been shocking and emotional. It, it's a true story, and it's got global implications. You know, there's detail in the end credits that should have been right up front to show you this is really serious. It's not affecting some little backwater in America. It's affecting you watching this film. It's dull. It's one note in the script for the most part. It has a grey colour palette. I think it's trying to ape 70s sort of dramas, but it just fails in that level. The director, Haynes, is well out of his comfort zone and characters just drift in and out. You know, like, next minute, hang on, where did he come from? I've seen him before, but not in this film. Only Tim Robbins, for me, managed to rise above it. He's playing a right-wing character who you'd have thought would be going all out to stop Mark Ruffalo's character of Billet of doing this. But actually, he's all about right and wrong and a sense of fairness. But just everybody else, and I include Anne Hathaway in that, they're just wasted. She's playing the standard wife-at-home role. Sure, everybody would like her as the wife at home, but really in a film like this, I expect a bit more out of her. It just doesn't cut it. It should have been more like the big short and less like Spotlight to make an impression. What do you think, Darren? I saw this in a completely different way because I've got to admit, watching this film, I got really, really angry. It, it really had an effect on me. And to, to the extent that I think this is the sort of film that should be released shortly before an election to get people sort of riled up. I, I get what you said. It wasn't a very spectacular story film. And I'll come back to the narrative because I had a few problems with that. But I think the thing about this film is there was a lot of information that you was being sent to the audience that you needed to digest and a lot of concepts if you weren't really sort of all fair with sort of, you know, legal issues. If it have tried to make it sort of more emotional and dramatic entertainment, it might have sort of taken away from that. So I was quite pleased that I was able to concentrate on that. And I do take your point that it was all centred on this sort of this, this small town, you know, the, the material that was being used that was causing all this and potentially poison, what was Teflon, which, which was, I, I thought was absolutely frightening because it's one of those substances that basically pretty much affects all households. Pretty much everyone has sort yeah. of non-stick type, you know, so, so that sort of thing. I, I have to say, I, I did get into the story of the uh, of, of the plaintiffs and their situation. And, and also, I, I think it, it addressed as, as well the problems that they had with their community. Because obviously, by this sort of, you know, this action being taken against this, this company, it also affected, you know, working people who, who were basically relied on that company for their jobs. It wasn't just also to about you know bringing down this company, but there are sort of implications of that. But also how these major companies have such a stranglehold that when they go down or have problems, that again it's it's like if you watch a film like um, The Big Short, the people who always suffer in one way or another are the working people. I, I have to say that the storyline yeah. it, it was it was a tough story story to tell because there were times when I thought the film was starting to wrap up, where it was coming to a conclusion. And then it would sort of, uh, you know, the story would go on another direction. There'd be sort of another sort of way the case went. And so we were back into the story. And then again, I thought we were going to wrap up. And again, it sort of, you know, and there was, because of how the story went, there wasn't like a real conclusion to it, but was like really, really dramatically satisfying. To be honest, I I felt kind of the same for 
Spotlight, which, which was a film I loved, that I, that was the same sort of film where the, it, there wasn't any sort of real conclusion. It just sort of came to a stop. Personally, although it wasn't a film that I sort of found like as entertaining as the big shot and, and spectacular in that way, I think it was an important story and I did basically come away to really had, did have an effect on me. Here's the thing I'd like to pick up, and, and, uh, and I think what you're saying there was fascinating. I think part of the problem on this, and listen to what you're saying there, is Mark Ruffalo. I think Ruffalo is a really good actor. He has a believability about him when he's in a role, but he's not dynamic. Now, if you take two similar films to this, Aaron Brockovich and A Civil Action, now you've got Julia Roberts won the Oscar for Aaron Brockovich. Uh, Travolta is dynamic in A Civil Action. You've got very strong, charismatic people in the centres of the film. And they take you along with it. They take you. And, and again, the issues are, are pretty much the same as about poisoning of water. Although this has, I would accept, global implications. But those characters just jump off the screen at you in a way that I don't think Ruffalo did. And it comes back to that just gray color palette. It just, you know, it, it just hangs there for me. I get what you're saying. I mean, I mean, on, on the one hand, I actually thought it was good in the role because he does have a likability about him. There's something about him that basically sort of gets you sympathetic because he's likable, you know, because he's on he's on board and stuff. And but yeah, I, I get what you mean. He's he's not some he's not somebody that can basically pull off like a big speech or a, a big rousing you know performance in that sort of way or something can really get on your your you know your heartstrings and that sort of thing. But I think maybe in a role what we're going for is some is somebody just that was just sort of that you could basically feel sympathy for, that, you, that you liked. And, and in a way, I think maybe they were going for the sort of the uh, the everyman look, but they weren't going for like a, a superstar charisma. They, they were going for someone who was a, a corporate lawyer type on the lower levels, just just an everyday guy. And, and that for me, yeah, and that for me is the big mistake: mm. is that you, you just haven't got the the guide through it. So it's interesting. So uh, you know, yeah, it, it's an important film. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what other people, as they see this, what their view on this is. Do they think that Ruffalo carries this film through or does it just fall a bit short? be interesting to hear what other people have got to say. OK, thank you, Darren. Who am I? You are a gift. I know it's been difficult for you lately that you feel different from other kids. baby for so long. Let's go to our next review. Oh, a horror movie. No wonder we didn't watch it, Neil. Brightburn. Um, it was also a bit of a catch-up for Jeff 
Jaron, I believe you saw it last year. As for Graham and I, well, I saw it as a horror and decided that then and there never to watch it. I say horror, but I guess you could almost call it a superhero film. Tell me if this start reminds you of anything. The Briars, a childless couple who live on a farm in Kansas, get woken up one night when a small spacecraft crashes outside. In the spacecraft is a young child with superpowers. Hang on, isn't this? Ah, but the twist is this child may not be necessarily a good person you think it is. Darren, this is clearly a setup as an evil Superman. Does it work? It, it does for me. And I, I remember seeing the first trailer for this in the cinema and not heard about the film at all. And I was just watching it thinking, what the hell is this? Because it was just so obviously, you know, a take on the Superman story. He wasn't even trying to hide it or, or be subtle, even even giving the kid like a, a red cape and everything. And it could have been, if you ever read comics for occasionally, they'll do these um, alternate history, like, you know, what if Superman crashed in Russia or something like that and then tell a different story. It was almost like something, something like that. The film did work for me. I think your enjoyment of it levels on basically knowing Superman mythos and sort of and being into that, recognising that and seeing the different take of what if Superman was sort of a little bit disturbed and what would a real sort of kid be like when you're know, presented with all those powers. I think the, the thing that got me was how creepy the kid is. He really was sort of, you know, he, he wasn't all, all and out a villain, but there was just sort of something about him that you sort of wonder, even if he didn't have these superpowers, this kid would have, have difficulties, you know, and just having the superpowers basically um, <laughs> made, you know, made him more, even more of a threat, whatever sort of issues it in. And and I think that the when it came down to the actual, you know, the, the violence when he and when he was basically sort of using his powers. They did it in, in such a way that was sort of like really loud and horrific. So people were basically having to cower and everything like crashing around them. And, and I, I just thought that was really, really, really well done. I do think there was more that they could have possibly addressed. There was, there was more of a story in there because it wasn't clear of whether it was him something in his alien DNA that made him sort of like a psychopath? Or was it just the, the fact that he had these powers and this was like any kid going into adolescence? It's almost because, you know, a kid going, uh, you know, getting older and having to be restrained and everything. What if you, your kid was that powerful that you couldn't bring him to fear? Is, is that how it would come out? So I think the little questions possibly could have sort of gone into Personally, I, I I really liked it, and the the ending as well, which sort of hinted that it, there might be other sort of characters down the line. But there was a, a reference to a Aquaman style character and a reference to a, a Wonder Woman type character. I personally would like to would like them to do more. I I, I, you know, I, I hate the, the whole expanded universe um, thing because there's only really Marvel that have ever done it really well. But in this one, it was intriguing enough for me that I would have liked to have seen more. Yeah, I've got to agree with you. It's interesting. Yeah, the clear, obvious thing is Superman that, you know, he's been dropped in. But there's that talk in the beginning about wasps and how wasps drop species into other species. And that came about as a bit of the midwitch cuckoos about John Wyndham. You mm. know, the, the, this alien yeah. culture is dropping these kids in in various parts to take over that society. I thought that was really good. And I also thought it was a great 
black humor throughout. You know, this is a kid about to go into puberty. It's like, you know, Kevin and Perry on steroids, God forbid. <laughs> and you've got that level of humor there and that sort of chills with it. And it doesn't hold back on its gore either, which I thought was quite good, although I did get a bit uncomfortable with the woman with the shard of glass in her eye. Oh, great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you'd love it, Graham. There's there's a lot of jump shocks, I think too many of them. But this costs $6 million to make. It's direction, editing, acting, effects. These people know how to put a film together. I think it's very impressive. And if there's a sequel, I definitely want to see it. The kid's costume as well was terrifying. That, that sort of really creepy, like, gas mask-type hood and his sort of red eyes and, and everything. It just, it, it was really, really simple. I think, I think one of the things that I liked about this, as opposed to a lot of horror movies, which I do, do with kids, is it's always sort of, you, you don't see the kids a lot. It's almost like a sort of, like, something in the dark that you can't quite see and everything. Where this is, it was so sort of brazen, but it was sort of very, be just sort of, like, floating in the sky, just looking, like, staring, looking sinister. I personally thought it was, like, you know, really effectively done. Did you think that, you know, when this started, I thought, okay, he's getting his power, so... He has that, tries to have that relationship with a girl who doesn't want to know him, so mm. he sort of punishes her. And I thought, okay, the way this is going to play out now, he's going to get all the school bullies one at a time before it broadens out. And they sort of just bypass that, which I, I thought that was quite clever. Yeah. I mean, that, that would have been the, you, you know, the, the easy way to go, is to basically have him sort of just going on like a, a, a rampage. I think as, as well, the sort of... They made it in a way that it was like you couldn't be sympathetic to him. So he was sort of like, you know, he, no. he, he attacked the, you know, the, the, the woman at the, the cafeteria and things like that, and he attacked his own parents and stuff. So they, they, they didn't go down the trap of him sort of saying, well, he's only um, going after people who basically wronged him and who basically sort of brought this on themselves. Did what he did because he, he was out of control and basically just sort of uh, deep down, uh, you know, a, a troubled kid. Kevin and Perry. <laughs> and but interesting what you say about the mask because I I read up no I didn't pick this up when I saw the film but the mask is designed like a wasp so that whole thing mm. in the beginning where he says about you know wasps take over other species and again he's playing with it with the costume as well Great, really good little film I can't wait to watch it I'm actually just waiting for it to become available to rent on streaming and I, I shall watch it. I'll probably leap out of my skin half a dozen times, but I'll yeah. definitely give it a go. I liked, uh, there was a, a version uh, Darren talked about earlier of Superman where he was uh, set in Russia or he landed in Russia. Uh, and I really enjoyed that Red Superman uh, comic. So I'd like to see how he take this uh, Superman story and, and deal with it. Okay. So let's talk about the one I have seen. Happy birthday, Mr. Adult Man. Oh, Mom. Like a gross. What was Dad like? His beard was scratchy. He had a goofy laugh. I wish I'd met him. I have something for you from your dad. It's a wizard staff. I wrote this spell so I could see for myself who my boys grew up to be. This spell brings him back. Back like back to life? She wanted to meet you more than anything. We've only got 24 hours to bring back the rest of Dad. We're going on a quest. All quest. 
quests start with the Manticore, the fearless adventurer. You mean Cory? She's over there. That's the Manticore? I'm looking for my sons. Oh, they went on a quest. But don't worry. I told them about the map. I told them about the gym. I told them about the curse. <sighs> I forgot to tell them about the curse. The what? <sighs> Your boys are in grave danger. Well, that sounds like a pretty exciting new film from Pixar. This review of Onward is going to be spoiler heavy. So if you haven't seen it, I would miss this review until you have. Yes, amazing as it sounds, Neil and Graham ventured out of their houses before lockdown to see this. The latest from Pixar. Set in a fantasy world of magic where that mythical power has been eroded over generations. In their present day, the world is not that different to ours as they now inhabit their own version of suburbia. For two elf brothers, Ian, Tom Holland, God, and Barley, Chris Pratt, the old and the new worlds are about to collide when they are gifted a spell which could raise their father from the dead. Nothing, however, works as expected. Phil, do you think it works? Um, just about. Um, I think it, it takes a long time to get going, and by the time... It enters the final sort of third. I think it's just about clicked into place. Okay. Interesting. Uh, i got a feeling a lot of us are going to agree on that, aren't we, Neil? Um, yes. Yeah, it almost works, doesn't it? It should do, but because it's Pixar, but it, it doesn't hit any of the heights, does it, of the uh, up? And, and if you're expecting that or Inside Out or, or uh, Toy Story, or it's, it's not as good as that. No. Yeah, and, and I'd agree with that. I just want to get that out there first. It's not as good as Inside Out or Coco or the wonderful Toy mm. Story 4. It's the first Pixar movie without John Lasseter at the helm as well. And I think I'm beginning to see his influence a bit. It starts <laughs> slow and it gathers pace quite nicely, actually. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was okay. I'm a, an old Dungeons & Dragons player, so lots of the little D&D jokes I got. You know, and I I loved the fact that the the worst thing in the maze was the gelatinous cube because that's just hysterical. Yeah, yeah, it went right over my head. Yeah, I thought that was good. Got fun. an explanation afterwards from Graham. I've got to agree with everybody. I do think it started quite slowly. I think it was more focused on world building than character development. So if you take something like Inside Out, because you can relate to those characters, it draws you straight in. You can't relate to elves. This is uh, Stroud, you probably can. Stroud, yeah. Unlike the elves in The Lord of the Rings, for example. Yeah. But you were drawn into that film and they build the characters. I don't think they made, I think they were more focused on world building here yeah. than they were on character development. Whereas in Lord of the Rings, if we take Jackson's films, yeah. I think he was interested in getting those characters right. That was a bit of a problem. And Neil, you mentioned to me outside of this, uh, Brave, which I think is a very fair comparison. Again, characters didn't quite gel to start off with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's really good bits in Brave and there's really, really good bits, especially the second acts I thought in this film were fantastic. There's far too much exposition at the beginning, I felt. Uh, maybe you could have gone in it a bit quicker or maybe had several trailers doing the exposition for yeah. us. But by the end of it, yeah. I yeah. thought the third act was great. I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Vo vocally, I mean, Chris Pratt, I thought, was brilliant. Um, oh, here we go. Not sure who the bland actor was that starred in it. Um, Phil, go. what do you think on the vocal performances? <laughs> you mean Mel Rodriguez, Jeff? Is that the bland actor you're referring to? Played the centaur. No, there was um, 
No, I a don't really know who you've lost me. Bland actor that played the lead. <sighs> Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> no, I don't think Gerard Butler was in it. No, Gerard, no. Uh, I'm going to actually stick up with Jeff slightly because whilst I don't agree that the actor is bland, I do think that Tom Holland kind of phones it in. I really did. I wasn't a huge fan of the voices, if I'm honest. I felt that Chris Pratt was just doing a Jack Black impression. Yeah. Tom Holland just kind of phones in a kind of cliched, awkward teenager. I mean, I know he's good at that. I didn't take to it overly in terms of the voice cast. On on that, though, do you think that Chris Pratt's character, the the rather large chap, was uh, an in-joke in his Parks and Recreation character? Yeah, to a degree, I do think that is what they were going for. Graham mentioning his D&D sort of influences there. There's a a computer game called Brutal Legends that um, Jack Black started where a roadie for a band gets sucked into a a fantasy world and Jack Black's doing the voice. And it just, for me, was like, well, you should have just got Jack Black to do it. (laughs) Because because that's what it felt like. And, And I think Chris Pratt is great. I think that his Star Lord is really good. I think he's decent in Jurassic World. But I kind of just felt that you might as well have got Jack Black because that's what he was going for. Possibly he was busy. And you could have got the guy from How to Train Your Dragon to do the other one. Yes, the voice of Ian, right, yeah. What about the female characters? Oh, I loved uh, Octavia Spencer as the, um, what was she, Minotaur or something, wasn't she? Oh, yes. Manticore. Manticore. Manticore, yeah. I thought Julia Louis-Dreyfus was really good as well. Yes, she's the mother, yes. Yes, Yes. Yes. I was just trying to remember the name. Yes, yes, I thought she was excellent. And, of course, the standout performance is Lena Waithe, a performance that's been noted in many countries, usually the ones that have banned her. <laughs> that was a, the lesbian girl. Just the one throwaway line, yeah. One throw. And it got it banned in Kuwait, Oman, Qatar and Saudi Arabia. Yeah, they're paragons of uh, liberal culture, aren't they, really? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> what do yeah. you think of that outcry, Phil? It's just bizarre, isn't it? I guess we've got different moral standpoints, right? To be honest, so I, I wasn't aware of it and you told me about it after. Jeff. And I, if you remember, I actually said to you, what bit? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's how much it really entered my uh, stream of consciousness. I wanted to come back to the world building that okay. Neil mentioned, because it's the sort of film where I kind of feel that rewatches probably will reap rewards, because there's a lot of stuff happening in the background, a lot of visual jokes. And it reminded me to an extent of Zootopia or Zootropolis, depending on yeah. where you are. I can't even remember which one was, <laughs> I here, can't which either. was in America. Because it was that sort of thing of this kind of whole world, like with, in this case, fantasy um, characters rather than animals, where they just kind of really thought kind of at every stage, how would that work like mixed with our real world? And I quite liked that. I thought that was quite good. It's interesting you say that because I, I didn't, I had to read up on it. I didn't see it. The Pizza Planet reference, the Toy Story thing. There's always oh, references on there. I didn't see the Pizza Planet. I did pick up, is it John Ratzenberger, who's basically appeared every Pixar yep. film. I did hear his voice. Was in it, though, wasn't he? He's a construction worker. Yeah. Yes. 
it's got a lot going for it, and I agree. I think watching it two or three times, maybe it'll be it'll improve with age. Certainly, the second and third acts were very, very good. I mean, you laugh, you cry, and everything. It's just that overcomplicated setup. I mean, it's based on um, director Dan Scanlon's uh, life when he was younger. Yes, and his talk uh, to his father. And his brother lost a uh, brother, and he lost their dad when he was very young. Yeah, and I, I thought it's brilliant that they the twist at the end. I never got a Coco deals with death a lot better than this one. Yes, but it still manages to it turned it around, which I thought was very good. That uh, that final bit was extremely poignant. Yeah, I loved it. I really did, and I yeah. I, I will definitely want to watch this again because mm. uh, there was loads of stuff. On the older brother, what's his name? Barley Lightfoot's D and D table. I'd really like to watch it again. I know, but it doesn't say the name of them. They can't pick him up. Pick him up, up. right? Oh, it does say. It says Ian Lightfoot. And yeah, we got two of the characters from the film here. Obviously, just toys, not really the characters. Phil, just not toys, Jeff. Collectibles. Collectibles. Sorry. (laughs) No, you admitted they are. They are toys, aren't they, Jeff? There was lots of stuff on his D&D table. There was lots of stuff in the magic book he brought with him, which I'd like to just freeze frame and have a look at <laughs> all the little jokes that are sure to be in that. And I think, yeah. You geek. I just, I don't, I'm sure they had a load of fun putting those so. things yes, together. I think and I'd so. like to see it. What's your thoughts on the ending, Phil? I think I put my review that there's definitely somebody peeling onions in the cinema. I mean, I've pulled <laughs> my eyes out. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, so... It's cinema I mean, dust, kind of, isn't it? It's cinema yeah. dust. Yeah, it gets everywhere. I mean, I didn't know actually uh, it, it was um, sort of the director's sort of speaking from his experiences. And I think that actually, I think that really shows because it's so well done. Um, the sort of brotherly love um, dealing with bereavement stuff, is, I thought it was really well done. Um, I do think that if, if we would, if they could sort out that first act, yeah, and um, and maybe sort of like have a bit more spark with the voices, we would be talking about this in the same sort of, you know, upper echelons of Pixar. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and it it does feel odd for you know, and a bit harsh on Pixar. I think that we're talking about a film that I think we all enjoyed, we all thought was you know great in its own little ways. But because it's Pixar, it's like, well, it's not as good as yeah, yeah. other amazing films that they did. Yeah, but but with like with Inside Out and with um, Up and with all of them, really, they throw you straight into it and then give you clues as to what's happening. And yeah. I, I don't know why we had all that exposition at the at the beginning and why it took so long to get going. But uh, maybe there's a reason for it. Uh, yeah, well, I think the reason is that, you know, it's forgetting older values because this is a very Christian film. Yes, it is. It, it deals with that sort of family values. It, the quest is um, the Holy Grail and, again, the sacrifice at the end. And I'll just read you the a bit. The quest could be Harry Potter. I'll, I'll just read you it a bit from... It could be a Satanist <laughs> quest. Isn't, aren't, aren't Christians I always complaining just, that, that when, Dungeons & Dragons is Satanism? <laughs> Religion will not be suppressed here, guys. Um, so I'll just read you a bit from the Christian movie guide that I, oh, I read this grief, week. No. Which you subscribe because, to, do you? Well, absolutely. And, of course, one of the things that you would I would expected you to counter, but you would be in too flib to counter, was um, 
oh well, it uses magic. It's like Harry Potter. It can't be. Yeah. And and the Christian movie guide had a had a perfect. And it says, and I will quote: <sighs> "Damn, I fell straight into yes. that one." To counter these magical themes, Onward has strong moral elements stress in family, reconciliation, sacrifice, and stepping out in faith. Many of the plot devices recall the clear Christian sacramental devices in that great movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where each test in the search of the Holy Grail demands Christian virtues. <laughs> that, guys, is my argument in a nutshell. It's an extremely Christian... And the fact it's annoyed the Arabs so that they're not showing it... Just because something can be Christian doesn't make it anti-Muslim, right? Yeah, no, that, and, I was being glib on that. I and, just, oh, okay. yeah. and is that saying that people who aren't Christian don't have any moral values? Wow, that's interesting. I wonder how many Buddhists will get upset with okay. that. Firstly, you've got to remember that this is aimed at an American market, which is fundamentally Christian, fundamentally being the operative word. Disney took a hammering over Frozen because of its lesbian subtext. So I think they're making up to Disney here with this film. I thought that was just a joke. Was that actually true? Oh. There are a lot of churches and church groups in America that will not show Frozen because the two sisters. What? They're sisters. Well, let it let it be. Let, let it, it be. It's a lesbian it coming be. out. Song. What is it? Uh, I let don't know what the name is. Let it go. Sorry. Yeah, let it's it go, a lesbian yeah. coming out song. Yes, it is. But yeah. that's still not. You know, that's just. Well, you can check. You can I'm sorry. Like, I refer you back again. to Google Phil. They're sisters. Oh, it's incestual lesbianism. Is that which makes it worse? Which makes it worse? That's why it was popular. Yeah. So you don't agree? It's a Christian. It's a. It's a film full of Christian values. No. No. It's got just moral, ordinary moral values, isn't it? So they go on a quest like a quest for a holy grail. People go on lots of quests. To find Lou Rolls? Yes, to find Lou Rolls and hand sanitizers. What? (laughs) The modern quest. (laughs) The Iliad, you know, Hercules trials, they're all quests. I hope God's not listening to people. Uh, He probably isn't. There is one thing in the first act that I really, really liked, and I thought, wow, that's clever. I've never seen that before. And that was the bit with the tape recorder where he had his dad and he was having a conversation yes. with his dad through yeah, the tape was recorder. Very, very that was, poor, that very was really, really nice. Another thing, it talks about life after death. They bring the dad back, and that's, again, a Christian thing. Oh, right, okay. Through magic, yeah. But they still... <laughs> and, yeah, he comes back... What? It's one you of those Jesus things where we're never, magic. ever, ever going to agree with you. Well, you do it all the time. You do yes. deliberately undermine what, me. But, <laughs> but, um, I'm kind of interested in what Jeff's getting at. So say, say for example, we did go, oh, yes, I agree. It's a Christian film <laughs> because it has sort of the moral values that anybody who loves their family would probably recognise. Exactly. What? What does that make the film? What does that? And uh, yeah, I see where you're coming from, but it's the layer on top of that of the Holy Grail style quest. And if we agreed with him, he'd probably argue the other way. No, I wouldn't. Uh, I, I said this to you. Did I not say this to you when we walked out the cinema? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually, did. yes. But uh, the other thing that really reinforced the uh, Christian. Uh, motif for me was the uh, fairy bikers. I thought that the, the, the fairy biker gang was really up there, you know, as the sort of twi- the 12 apostles. Find, finding their there wings. There were more than 12. Were they? Yeah. The okay. It was a multitude? Multitude, yes. <laughs> I kind of understand that. I, I agree that that kind of familial love morals um, was in there. 
I'm not sure where we're going with the quest because for me, the quest is fundamentally answered by the fact that the older brother was a fantasy nerd yeah. and loved yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And to be honest, they should have taken the main road and they'd been there a lot quicker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah. that's that's not a question. But, but then at the end of the film, the younger brother sacrifices his time with that father. Yes, he does. So he sacrifices it for somebody else, which is, again, and I think there are very strong Christian principles throughout this film. No. Now, I don't know whether this, this director might be only a, a, a strong Christian that's reflecting his beliefs. I don't know that, but that's how it came across to me. The whole theme for me was about that brotherly love. And well, for yep. me, it was, yes. it was the, the quest, the goal wasn't important anymore. It was the journey which helped him to realise that actually his brother's been there for him his whole life. Hmm. So that father. Yeah, and he didn't know his father, whereas his brother, his older brother, actually did have some sort of life with his father because obviously he was talking about the what do you remember because he didn't remember anything of his father, did he? No. And his older brother had like those three or four memories. So yeah. for me, that was just the, the journey resulted in him kind of realizing that actually if if only one of them were going to get time with him it should be his older brother right and yeah. and this is where he comes back to the holy grail the quest for the grail in all stories is once you found the grail it means nothing it's the inner changes to yourself that that journey has made that's the importance of the of the grail it's not the object it's what it's done to you searching for it and that's what happened in this film you're making it up. I'm not making it up. I studied that, this. I read on this before is this, I come to this. Is that the African or the European swallow? I mean, I'm not <laughs> sure on this. Who made you a king? <laughs> help, help, I'm being repressed. It's these so Christians. started out in a fairly decent review. How do you know he's a king? Because he's not covered, covered in, in shit. shit. <laughs> I do apologise, Phil. You could have gone to that lunch because <laughs> then you wouldn't have had this sort of nonsense when we're trying to seriously approach a, a decent subject. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. This is a rule, Jeff. We're over 60. Part of being over 60 is you have to reminisce. You know, yes. it's, it's on my, Otherwise, it just it, forget. Just like evil superheroes. Monologue. Monologue. We have to reminisce. There you go. Okay. So now you've reminisced. You both, we're back, you, with, back in all, the room. Back yeah, in the room. You all accept that. We mic. disagree. No, we don't. No. Um, it's just a moral tale. Just like Aesop's fables are all moral tales. Pre-Christian. I think, yeah, I think, I think that I don't disagree with you that those things happen. I just don't see them as being the most important facet of the film. No. And I would really, really object to the idea that Christians have ownership of morality. It's not. It's the, as I said, it's multi-layered. There's, there's yeah. layer upon layer that give it that Christian dynamic. And the quest for the Holy Grail is the key one. Okay, we're all going to disagree on this and we'll go around in circles. So oh, no, I think three of us agree. <laughs> no, two, two and a half, Phil split. Um, <laughs> He's conflicted. Right, so let's just sum up this film then. Neil, I'll start with you. Very, very good, but not quite there as a Disney classic. It's just that first bit. It takes its time to get going, but um, the second half is really, really good. Graham? Yep, I agree. It does take its time to get going. Some beautiful little cameos in it. The tape recorder I've already mentioned, and the ending is excellent. 
and some of the bits in the dungeon are great fun. Yes. And we will move on from that to me. As you know, I have a theory that everybody else has kicked back. I stand by that theory. <laughs> I, although I do agree in terms of structure, it has a, a, a very weak opening as it world builds too much. But the second half of this film is really good. Well worth tracking down. Thank you, guys. Next film. <laughs> Time to sit back again, Graham, as we hand over to no mate Jeff. <laughs> film Amazing Grace. Jeff managed to get to see this in the Stride Film Festival before the event had to be closed. Amazing Grace is a documentary about two nights of recording that created Aretha Franklin's best-selling gospel album back in 1972. Due to issues with the sound, the accompanying documentary could not be completed until now. Jeff was it worth the wait? Not really. I'm oh, really dear. sad to say that as well. I mean, this film starts off, you know, so Sidney Pollock directed it. They couldn't get the sound to sync. And no matter how they tried, it was a, a lifelong project of Pollock's to, to get it completed. It was designed originally to go on TV as a TV special. As he was dying, he passed the reins on to somebody else to pick it up. And now, you know, digital technologies reached the stage where they could sort out the problems. When it started, I had such high hopes for this. They showed a lot of the city at the time. In 1972, you showed Pollock setting everything up. And I thought, great, you know, we can have the music and it's going to be behind the scenes as well. And, and you've got this whole view of what life was like at that time going into this gospel. Why did she choose gospel at this time? You know, when she was a, a big soul artist. And then it just did what it said on the tin. The rest of the film was her singing the various songs over two nights. And there were people in front of me in the audience swaying back and forth, doing the religious bit. I was yeah. just hoping for more, but no, it just didn't happen. And I'm sorry, I don't uh, swing the gospel. I just didn't get a sense of time or place. Some of the music is okay, but I'm not yeah, in, into that in the gospel. I think her version of Amazing Grace is really good. Everybody else there, my wife loved it. You know, all the other people there seemed to love it. And it was packed where I saw it. Just didn't work for me. So that about wraps it up for reviews. Let's go over to Darren's Dash. April Fool, Jeff. I've got a review to talk about. Graham, take it away. Spencer Confidential, reviewed by Neil. Neil has been using his Netflix to good effect. Mark Wahlberg reteams with his favorite director, Peter Berg, for this action comedy. Former police officer Spencer is released from a five-year prison sentence for violent conduct. Shortly after he is released, his former police captain is murdered. Spencer teams up with some tough new friends to find out who is responsible. Neil, does this latest teaming of Wahlberg and Berg work? Well, it, it has its moments. I mean, it is a standard cop film, etc., etc., and it, it slightly rises above that. I would normally just dismiss this. Um, and there's a, it, it, there's a lot of humour among the violence and detectiving. Alan Arkin's in it, so that's a positive. Stand-up comedian Elisa Schlesinger and Mark Wahlberg are very funny together. She is hilarious. Yeah, I haven't heard of her. Neil, who is she? She's a, a stand-up comedian, as I just said. I, don't, I hadn't heard of her either. They're both Boston, I think, or New York. He's been in prison for five years, so she comes out and his girlfriend is uh, uh, 
uh, ringing him constantly to te- just to tell him that she wants nothing to do with him. Wahlberg is running away from it, and she's um, trying to catch him up. And Alan Arkin is in the middle, which I, I thought I thought he's very funny. So, so that bit was good. And nothing is too taken too seriously, and they are having a lot of fun. I mean, it's built based on the books of Robert V. Parker, and there mm-hmm. there are a lot of them. And a sequel is possible. The coders say, you know, implying there's a sequel. Is it a must see? No, but. We are d- during isolation with no cinemas. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, is it a fun B movie? Yeah, yes, it is. Okay. Would you watch it, Darren? Possibly. Um, I've I've got to admit I've been burned by quite a few of the action films on Netflix. I tried watching that um, Six Underground a couple of weeks ago, and I, I basically sort of. Oh, tapped. I gave up. Yeah, I tapped out. I didn't. I, I got in about. I think I gave it half an hour. Sorry, Darren. You know what I thought you were going to say there? I've been burnt before by Peter Berg and Mark Wahlberg, particularly in <laughs> Deepwater Horizon. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. Sorry. Yeah, I have to say I do like some of the Netflix action films, but I tend to like the ones which are um, more sort of B movie level, as opposed to when they get sort of stars in. Some of it doesn't click a lot of time, but you know, at some point I, I may well. You know, give it a shout. They have no delusions of grandeur for this film. It does have a few good bits. Okay. okay. Oh, I actually, I would put that on my watch list. I, I <laughs> quite quite like Mark Wahlberg. It's all right. Are we finished now? Graham, you've got no hidden Mel Gibson reviews you want to talk about? <laughs> Professor and the Madman now on Amazon Prime, do you? No, absolutely not. No. Okay, <laughs> well. Have they put that on Amazon Prime? Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should review it next month. No, 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 no. It's free on. It's uh, part of yeah. Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't charge for it. Yeah, nobody would charge for it. It's just rubbish. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You said that about dragged across concrete, and that was awesome. Right. Okay. <laughs> Let's go over to Darren for Darren's dash. <laughs> Thank goodness for Darren this month, who managed to see quite a few before cinemas went into closure. Darren, what we got? Okay, first up, Emma. Now, I'm not going to try and tell the story here because it's basically based on a classic film and it's a very sort of convoluted story of of lots of relationships. It's based around a, a girl called Emma who is a young girl with, as well as trying to sort her own love life out, she's also got a habit of getting involved in other people's relationships and trying to control them and everything. Now, I've got to say, I've never been a fan of period dramas or adaptations of classics because... I find them really sort of dry, re- really bland. Characters who are very hard to relate to because of, you know, the sort of like, you know, always about, you know, the aristocracy and that sort of thing. But I'm really loving lately what they are doing with classics, where they're giving them a complete makeover and giving them a bit of a, although they're still setting the period, giving them a bit of a sort of like a more modern way of telling the story. So like you had David Copperfield a, a couple of months back, Little Women, I think, was giving a more modern style to it. And this one, I really did end up enjoying it, even when I didn't think I would. Um, the, the film looked great. 
the, the actual colour palette that they're using in these films, I'm really impressed by. They make him really vibrant and colourful. And they also give him a sort of a more comedy and humour base to them. They make it so that these are characters that you could sort of have in like, you know, in the 21st century, but, but set in a period drama. And and I really enjoy, enjoy this. Anna Taylor-Joy, I thought was absolutely wonderful. I'm really liking her as an actress. She's one of these was almost got like a chameleon quality to her. You spend about 10 minutes trying to figure out where you've seen her before. And it's because she's in so many different films and she just keeps on a completely different personality in each one. I'm, I'm really becoming a fan of her. The film was funny. There was lots of like comedy moments. I really enjoyed it and came away really happy with this one. So you've sided with Neil then and his view in it, whereas my, my view on this is I'd rather eat my own vomit than have to watch it again. Um, your review, okay. your review, Darren, was almost exactly mine. I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was excellent. Excellent. Okay. I'm right. in good company. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, next up, <laughs> True History of the uh, Kelly Gang. So this is based on the Peter Carey novel, which is the story of Ned Kelly, who was an outlaw back, uh, back in the Australian outback. And this film was an absolute riot. It was kind of like a Western but with a punk rock sensibility. They were basically a, a group of outlaws who, they basically were had nothing. They had to, their only choice in life was to basically thieve and go out and sort of, and rob and everything. While the gang didn't have any sort of redeeming qualities, it, it didn't, you know, try to soft sort that these were bad people. You understood where they were coming from. And it also helped with, uh, you know, sort of relating to them, the fact that the authorities were basically absolute shits for most of the film. The police were corrupt. They took advantage <laughs> of them. There was a police officer who would basically come round and pay Ned's, Ned's mother for sex. And you saw how we sort of, these kids who had basically nothing, how rebellious they became. George Mackay, who was the, uh, who played Ned Kelly, he had this kind of Johnny Rotten vibe to him. This real disillusioned swagger with you know this and this real anti-authoritarianism, you know, I really ended up joining this movie. The film itself looked great, really got a sense of the desolation and the wilderness that they were they living in, and the fact that they had absolutely nothing. One of the things about Ned Kelly that was that um, uh, that was his trademark is. This gang they used to basically put on like suits, almost um, self-made suits of armor. So, they, so sometimes we would look almost like a, like a like a like a poor man, Iron Man, basically. Yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. It was a real, you know, a really good, just kind of like a, a, a western, but with a real anti-authoritarianism to it. And yeah, this is a really good one. Okay, so next one: Portrait of a Lady on Fire. This is one that I really had to go to a little bit of um, effort to go to go to see because it's not had a wide release. It's a French film. It's um, mainly sort of coming in um, in smaller theatres, smaller art house theatres. And I'm really glad that I made the effort because this was absolutely wonderful. It's about a young woman called uh, Marianne, who's a female artist who's commissioned to travel to a remote island under the guise of being a companion to a young woman there called Eloise. But she's actually there to um, paint a portrait of her without her knowing about it. And the reason why she has to paint a portrait of her is that the mother is trying to find a suitor for her daughter. So she wants to get a portrait that she can give to a suitor in order to try and tie him to basically arrange a wedding. And this is something that the, the young girl is, uh, is really against. The thing about this film is they start to spend time together 
and obviously they start to fall in love. And there's an underlying tragedy on this because um, Marianne is, she basically wants to paint this absolute beautiful portrait as she sees Eloise in all her glory. But by doing so, she's also effectively marrying her off. So she's basically marrying off the, the, the person that she loves to, to another guy. So that is kind of the premise of the movie. The film is absolutely wonderful. The chemistry between the two is absolutely off the charts. It's a very subtle build in the, the attraction and the relationship in, in between them. You really do sort of you know believe in them. But it's more than a um, it's more than just a love story. It's about how sort of women were viewed back then. In families, women were viewed as a commodity, as sort of a, a way to um, use uh, to marry into other families and strengthen a family. There's also a sort of a subplot where you've got a, a young maid who um, gets pregnant and who they're trying to arrange a, an, an abortion. The film itself is, is absolutely amazing. It looks stunning. I mean, the, 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 there are some sort of scenes in there where they sort of, it's almost like a Charlotte Bronte type feel to it with the sort of, you know, the, the vast oceans and the beaches and everything. And there's some, there's some beautiful imagery. It's one of those films that, I would really like to go to see again because, like I said, this is more than just a tragic love story. There's other things going, you know, going on there with the treatment of women. Also, the the actual there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff to do with art and and trying to basically paint some, not just paint somebody as their sort of ideal of who they are, but also paint them that brings out their personality and everything. This is a, a, an absolutely wonderful rune. It, it's one that you really have to see to appreciate because it's 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 just sort of so got so much passion in it, and I absolutely love this movie. And it, it really is 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 one to go in for. And like I say, it's a film that I think if you watch again, you will get more of it on the second viewing. Well, it's certainly something my wife would like to see. Uh, that'll yep. be high on her list to watch, I think as opposed to your next one, which has got the actor she hates most in all the world. But that one definitely will uh, have to go watch. Okay. It's getting rave reviews. Absolutely, people are going crazy about it. Subtitled, is it? It is subtitled, yeah. Okay, so the next film is Downhill. And this oh, is God. a remake of a Swedish film called Force Majeure. It's a family go on holiday in the Alps and one afternoon while they're having dinner sat outside, uh, an avalanche starts heading towards them. And when it hits, the father, played by Will Ferrell, grabs the phone and runs off and leaves them to it. And everything's okay, everything's fine, but when they come back, obviously, it causes friction for the rest of the the holiday and there's a big tension building where, you know, the wife, played by Julia uh, Dreyfus, is pissed off with him and it basically also explodes. Now, Will Ferrell and Julia Dreyfus are in this, so I think this was supposed to be a comedy. It's not funny at all. Uh, there, there are some weird attempts at humour. <laughs> most, most, most of the humour, weirdly, is set at the hotel staff because they're um, Swedish and foreigners, but they have um, customs different to um, everybody else. And that's where the humour is, is attempts to be. So obviously you've got a uh, their guide who is basically a sex maniac. The Swedish staff are all basically right, really aloof. I think that's where the comedy is supposed to be. It's not funny. I, I've got to say, I am not a Will Ferrell fan in a way. The only film I've really enjoyed Ooh, him in is Anchorman. Uh, generally, I find him a lot of his roles really annoying and really creepy. 
just something really creepy about the guy. I can't say. I, I think some ju- just the, the roles that he takes. Uh, I, I just think there's something really off-putting about him. This is a 90-minute film, and I was absolutely bored. It's just drags. <laughs> it goes on. Julia Dreyfus is is trying is is basically sort of like you know trying, and she, and she does a really good job of conveying how sort of like annoyed she is at this guy. And there's like an interesting idea in there. It just never goes anywhere. It's it's just it, it just plods along. You, you can't really feel sympathy for any of the characters. There's it's it's just there are scenes which are just like really annoying. The kids are annoying. I, I I just came away from this film just not giving a damn about any of it. There's no sort of there's kind of like a conclusion to to me when he has to face what he actually did because he basically sort of denies that he did anything wrong. It's just there's just nothing there. It's just a really bland film, and I think the fact that they're in it makes it even worse because it, you get the impression it's trying to be funny and, and trying to be in a comedy. But it, there's just nothing there. It's, it's absolutely. I, I just thought this was absolutely a, just a waste of time as, as a film. And, oh, and yeah, thank, thanks for ha- taking one for the team there. <laughs> yeah, but, but you say that, and and you you put the thumbs down it before um, Darren even started speaking there, Graham. Yeah, but well, but the yeah. writers uh, and well, one of the writers and both directors, Nat Faxon and Jim Rash. They are the creative force behind The Descendants and The Way, Way Back, two excellent films. It's got Will Ferrell in it. When you put Will Ferrell in, unfortunately, Will Ferrell thinks everything he says is funny, even if he ad-libs it, and uh, you need somebody to tell him that 90% of it isn't. Um, (laughs) I think that's the the thing, because it was was saying everything in the tone of, of Will Ferrell. So it was trying to be funny, but I I don't think it was necessarily them that was just... The, the the problem the, the story was bland i came out I, ju- I i just didn't get get it at all oh uh, well you know i mean certainly for gray i mean for him will ferrell's highest moment must have been daddy's home too when he was opposite <laughs> now uh, so okay all right uh, yeah. i i, I, I relent on, i relent on this one darren i think i will skip it as well what we got yeah. next Okay. Oh God. Um, it gets worse. Uh, <laughs> the next film is a, um, <laughs> is a is a small horror movie called Sacrilege. Now, this one is um, it's about a group of four young, glamorous-looking women who uh, go off for a weekend to a cottage. What um, one of um, basically one of them's been stalked by her ex-boyfriend who's just got out of jail, so they go off to the um, off to a cottage in the uh, in the countryside to basically get away from it all. And on the way, they pick up a hitchhiker who tells them that in the village that they're going to, there's going to be a late-night pagan-style festival going on with lots of booze and drugs. And so or even though alarm bells are ringing, they all decide to go. And the next morning, they all start to have hallucinations about their worst fears. And then the film starts to go a little bit uh, wicker man as they start to get stalked by the locals and everything. Now, this film was done on a very, very small budget. I believe it's the first film for a new uh, studio in the UK that's going to be doing horror movies. I hate to basically really rip on a film like this. It was the most amateur film I've ever actually seen in the cinema. I don't know why this got a um, a, a release in, actual, so in an actual multiplex. Everything from the acting to the writing to the directing... The editing is just so shoddy, and like you know, the look of it—it's got the look of a small, um, full-length porn movie. 
and the acting is as well. It's just absolutely dreadful. It's yeah. and, and there's yeah. so many sort of cringy moments, like the, the scenes where, for example, you're spending ages watching a um, a yellow van going down the road, and then it passes a camera, and then it, you're, you're watching it going off into the distance where it's like really big, massive, foreboding music. And just everything, there's just not, it's one of those films that makes you realize how difficult it is actually even to make even just an average decent film. Because the people who are making this, the no concept of having people talk in a natural way or shoot the film in a natural way, it was just dreadful. If I'd seen this at, say, a horror movie festival, where people are basically showing off sort of like, you know, small movies that they're sort of, you know, and, and people trying to get gain experience. For that, I, I would be a bit more forgiving. But this one was so comically bad and cheesy. I just, seeing it in the cinema, you've, you've got to sort of say, there should be a standard to a film that you see in the cinema and expecting people to pay like, you know, a tenner to see. It was absolutely dreadful. I mean, the only thing I would say about it was a few sort of effects and, and gore scenes in there that were quite sort of, effective but everything about it the, the, the writing just it just it just looked so cheesy and and and, and amateurish that, that's all i can say it's amateurish i mean there's a lesbian sex scene in it that was no good is you know, if you can't even get that right, what yeah <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure that they're probably very proud and they've they've made a film which is more than i've ever done when you think that if a film like this was uh, was uh, over cine world and a film like portrait of a, a lady on fire i had to basically go in, into an art house home to see there's there's something wrong there okay there, there is an at the flicks connection to sacrilege Uh-oh, which well will said. surprise graham and neil as well in a minute yeah no no no, no you've not said anything so, connection. that's the one you've got it this is the one that was filming in Wooten under edge last year and i wrote off to them to say so they they had a a big weekend of all the extras which i assume is for the ritual at the end of the film darren right. and so they were looking for people to come along to it so I wrote off to the company, which is basically a Swindon wooden uh, Bassett way, I think. And yeah, we never bad, got a response. Bad blood films is what they bad blood. Up. Yeah, and uh, they never replied to me. So uh, you know what? If it's bad, they didn't invite us. We could have sold the word for them. Moving on, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> okay, so the next one is Bloodshot. So. Vin Diesel is a Marine who, after a successful mission, is uh, kidnapped by terrorists. Um, he and his wife are killed. However, he's resurrected by a tech company, which is building up a team of cybernetic enhanced super soldiers. So basically just... Hang on, is this a remake of Universal Soldier? <laughs> it's not that far off. It's not that far off. But the thing about this film is, it's the first half an hour is completely by the book superhero type movie and i was getting really really bored and just so fed up with how you know because i'm vin diesel is one of those vin diesel's a fine if you've got in a film like fast and furious where he might be the lead guy but he's got an entourage around him who are basically you know of sort of other characters who are basically sort of covering up the fact that he has basically a one-tone personality in this film, he was more of a star, so my, my patience was wearing thin with it. But I've got to say, the film, just as you think you've got this film figured out, but it's basically just this sort of like routine sort of action movie, something happens in it. There's some twist 
that basically changes the film and makes it interesting. Now, I'm not going to say that this was a great film because there's quite a lot of problems with it. The um, Vin Diesel himself is just is just basically all macho and he's no real charisma. Sorry, well, Darren, you say that, but but I feel now, having you, you saying that, he is a perfect candidate to go on to Graham's film news list. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> what you oh. mean, he's a totally useless action star. Sorry. But, yeah. but I, I agree with you, Darren. I think um, Vin Diesel has just got one speed and, and one type of portrayal. He doesn't do anything else. And the people in Fast and Furious are all sort of there to make him appear better than he actually is. They're propping him up almost. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. do anything for me. Yeah. I mean, the, the problem in, in this film as well is they did the thing where they have to, they have him in love scenes, where he's basically in love with someone. And he just okay. cannot pull that off whatsoever. You know, I, I do, I, the, the one role that I do like him in, I like him in the, um, the first Riddick movie. I think I think he was it, it was it was it was good in that, but anything else, he's he's, he's just like he's just like a one tone macho man. I mean, the, the good thing about this film is that you had a, a really good uh, villain in Guy Pierce, who, who sort of who was like you know really dependable on that. There's a, a actress in uh, Eliza Gonzalez, I believe her name, who's got loads of presence, and she actually had an interesting. Um, uh, backstory because she was another of the unhands people that was basically sort of she uh, she had the, the cybernetic implants because she'd been in an accident herself as well, and and she had a really good good storyline that went along in it. This this film is basically it's not great, but they it, it tried to do something different. If you watch it and if you stick with it, it does go in a direction that you you weren't seeing. Just to, you know, and and for that, I, I sort of enjoyed it. What it lacked is any sort of finesse or, or wow factor in any of the action. There's a story yeah. there. It, it, it was fine. It, it was. I, I wasn't. I wasn't disappointed about when I went to see it. It's just kind of you, you. Just think that they could have basically. If you're doing an action film these days, you really need to get your action scenes right and, and give it a bit of sort of. Either a bit of spectacular or something with a bit of finesse. So what you're saying is after downhill and sacrilege, that's a step up. Yeah, oh, definitely. Definitely. It, um, well, you know, like I say, it did have its moments and it, it, it you know, but yeah, it, it was, it was fine. It just, but it's what it's one that you can, if you wait for it on, on Netflix, um, you, you won't be missing anything. Uh, don't worry, we'll know all about uh, Vin's future films coming up in the next film, Niece. Don't worry about that. <laughs> so, one more for us, Darren. Okay. Misbehaviour. Based on a true story, the um, Miss World came to London back in <laughs> 1970. And at the time, a, a group of feminists planned to cause this protest and cause disruption at the event. Their main aim was to actually infiltrate the building. And then when Bob Hope came along who was the the compare on the night they basically would um, start throwing flower bombs onto the stage storm the stage run around with it and basically just cause a massive foo on um, live television it was also a, a historic uh, miss world because it was the first time that a black competitor uh, miss grenada actually won miss world so it was quite a sort of like it, historic for for both of these um, reasons i really really enjoyed this movie 
For a start, it was absolutely entertaining. It was funny in places. You had a great storyline where it went into the um, behind the scenes of the Miss World tournament and showed the actual how we went about the heats and everything that was said backstage and all the politicking going on backstage and how they um, when when the women came and were rehearsing how sort of you know, all the tackiness and everything it, it made a comedy of it but it also pointed out the unsavory moments of it the fact that it is almost like a um, a, a cattle market the fact that the, the the black competitors pretty much would get ignored by all the press that came to interview them one of the more disturbing moments in the film is during the um, during the swimsuit competition when they basically parade them all um, out in a line and then they ask them all to basically sort of turn around to the audience so the audience can see them from behind. And it's like one of that sort of moments when you think, God, this this used to happen. This is really creepy. And, of course, you've got Bob Hope who's on there who is, um, let's say, less than sympathetic attitudes to, to women on, on there, how uh, he sort of, he, um, he pretty much has a staff basically just build up of beautiful women. And he, uh, it's the, the storyline in it as well, that he has problems with his wife because on a previous time when he was um, hosting Miss World, he ended up having an affair with the winner. So you've got all that, you've got the com- comedy elements, but you've also got two really, really sort of, you know, fun but interesting stories in there. You've got the stories of the protesters, you've got the story of the divisions within the protesting itself. So you You've got Kieran Knightley, who um, she's a, um, a student who's trying to get into the academic world, and she's finding it hard being a woman. Any questions that she ever raises for on projects and everything, she basically just pretty much gets shouted down. She's at odds with Jesse Buckley, who is more angry, uh, a feminist, but she sees things from an all like art point of view. So she's into the sort of disruption, but also creating T-shirts and posters. She's very hands that way. She sees uh, Kieran Knightley as more like a person from the upper classes. So there's kind of those divisions bet- between them. But you've also got as as much as as abhor- abhorrent as the competition is made out to be. You've also got Miss Grenada, who she has a storyline where she's trying to to win this world and use this so that people, uh, you know, little girls from her country will start to see themselves um, differently. And there's also this this wonderful scene where she finds herself in a room with Kieran Knightley, and Kieran Knightley's sort of saying that we're not protesting against you. We're protesting against the system and what this says about women and everything. And Miss Grenander basically just says to it something along the lines of, um, I look forward to having the same choices in life that you do. And it's a, it's a, it's a really good point because it, it reminds me somewhat of na- nowadays how there's a real sort of, um, I suppose the modern equivalent of today is how people are really down on the, on the, um, on in sporting events having like ring card girls at boxing matches or models at F Formula One and sort of thing, and people are basically trying to get that stopped. By doing that, even though it says about women, you're also sort of denying those women the freedom to basically have a career on that thing. So I think there was like an interesting, you know, storyline in there. It really illustrated, you know, the diversity of problems that women face. There's not just one shared experience that all women have. There's like your different sort of, you know, levels of discrimination that they have to go through. And it's a lot more complex issue than, than just sort of like, you know, tacking a, um, a beauty contest because of what it represents. Overall, I thought this was like a really entertaining film. It got a lot of stuff in there by all the different disparity storylines. Also, someone who wasn't in there very much, but absolutely stole the show for me was uh, Leslie Manville. She played um, Dolores, who is Bob's Hope's wife. And she was awesome because she was 
obviously she was pissed off with her husband. You could tell that she was like, you know, annoyed with it, especially when we went back to the uh, the memories of fooling around with Miss World and possibly other women as well. It, it shows completely that Bob Hope was pretty much, uh, you know, a sexist and he's like the figurehead of sexism in this. Uh, I think it's Greg Kinnear who plays him and he's, he's, re- he's absolutely wonderful in it as well. Mm. But she, uh, like Leslie Manfield, she's, you can tell at times that she's uh, she's actually amused by the fact that these feminists basically managed to embarrass him on the, on the live stage. This is like sort of smirk on her. It's absolutely wonderful. I really, really did enjoy this movie. I, I, I thought it was probably one of the best ones of, of this year so far. But it's also, it's not just sort of like a, a black and white, you know, movie. I, I enjoyed it. Definitely one I will um, look out for. Thank you for that, Darren. Yeah, um, and, a, gr- and a, gr- a great, clever title, misbehavior yeah. i thought that was very oh. smart how are you going to get a dash in next month Dan? <laughs> um well i guess i'm just gonna to have to um sort out some of these straight to streaming movies or, may, or yeah, maybe yeah. or, may, okay. or maybe well, we'll, maybe uh, some old classics that i've not seen before we will chat about that shortly okay well thank you very much for that films of the month neil onward graham Onward is the only one I've seen. <laughs> um, uh, Redundant tough, question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tough call. I, I, I would have gone Brightburn, but that was last year, and that was just a catch-up for me, so I will also go onward. Darren? Portrait of a Lady on Fire. After that stunning review, you just give misbehaviour. That, so that portrait of a Lady on Fire must be awesome, then. Yeah, on any other month, it would be misbehaviour, but I, I think Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I came out of it with goosebumps. And the, the overall feeling of it is just such a passionate, uh, you know, looking film. I, I would just have to give it that. But misbehavior, I think on any other month, misbehavior would have won. Okay. Well, thank you. Okay. Moving on to next month. As for next month, we argue over the most disappointing films of the last decade. We have a coup, an interview with Witcher director and producer. Mark Yobst. And there's another in our political take on the Rambo films. We've now reached Rambo 3. Plus plenty of reviews. The return of Emma, who talks us through some off-the-beaten-track films to watch at home. So, gentlemen, I can safely announce, that's a wrap. And another At The Flicks is in the can. Now, normally, at this point of the show, I would end with some traditionally poor joke, although I find them funny. Um, But this month, can I just say to my fellow presenters and all you listening out there, follow the guidelines and stay safe. Ditto. I'm going to be following the guidelines and going back to watching the telly and staying at home. And to everyone else, thanks Thanks for for listening and goodbye. Goodbye. To make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast, please subscribe to At The Flicks at our website, attheflicks.uk. And if possible, please remember to rate and review At The Flicks wherever you get your podcasts. You can contact the team on Twitter or by email. Our contact details are also on our website, attheflicks.uk. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.